scar tissue from for mental abuse was um, far deeper and the um, the actual the long tail if you like of mental abuse um, uh, is it makes broken bones look like a cakewalk in comparison Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I'm Petra Belzebor, and this is the place to discuss tips, tricks, and hacks to build your resilience through your worst rock bottoms and get you to a place of success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life, professionals, individuals who've been through their own adversity, and allow them to share their authentic and real life stories, opinions, and ideas about how to utilize our worst rock bottoms and allow them to catapult us into success. Welcome to the show. Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I'm like bouncing in my chair today. I'm so excited. Um, I've got Jonathan McDonald uh, on, on, on Zoom with me uh, on the podcast. Uh, we're, we're good friends. Like we've known each other for a couple of years now and it's been ages since I've been able to like get you onto the podcast. Welcome to the show. It's lovely to be here. An absolute honor. I'm so excited to have you. And we wanted to do things a little bit different because um, you do uh, lots of content yourself uh, and I've been running more of an interview conversation, although recently I've done some more uh, conversational or expert chats around particular topics. So this is kind of a free-for-all. We're kind of gonna go both ways, ask, both, ask each other questions uh, and just explore the topics connected to adversity and some of our personal journey and like also how we manage this stuff now. Um, because, but because people love the kind of it was tough and then the, the hero's journey, right, of how wonderful it is. Um, but actually, when you're committed to growth, oh my God, there's just stuff that keeps happening, right? It's mm. relentless. Um, give us a little context about you. Who are you? Uh, what, is, what is your stake in the world? What are you doing? Uh, so I am a, an adopted... Uh, fostered um, orphan into an entrepreneurial startup household with a brother and a sister, uh, then into retail and setting up my own online retail store that I then sold and became the chairman of the British music industry and then helped other companies grow. And my, um, my life has revolved around patterns of adversity to advantage. Yeah, and nice. And my, my role in the world is to expand the way that people think. And so I love that. And I think that's what we've connected on more than anything. So we've, we've connected initially on the, on the speaking. You, you speak for big companies and consult. Uh, and and we, we sort of met on, on that level. Um, but then I think what's kept us together is this idea of how we challenge each other to, to think differently, right? And that's part of what's important to you. Hopefully I've challenged you as well. It's gone both ways, right? Absolutely. I'm sure there's parity there. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't actually audited it, but if given a chance, I could put it into a spreadsheet. Well, I'll just like challenge you here then, and then we'll okay. make sure that it's... And then the, the viewers can decide, the listeners can decide. Um, and so, and that I also love about you is that we both have this kind of logical view of the world where we, through our own perspectives, have learned to break it down into some logical steps to help us with this like growth mindset element of, of building on it in some way. Are there any downsides to that? I'm consistently uh, cautious that the over usage of logic could belie 
emotion. Um, I, I'm a fan of the duality between the, the, the chariot and the charioteer, as it were. Um, I'm glad that there's no binary anymore in terms of logic and emotion, but the balance between the two is something I have to be careful of. Otherwise, what I'll do is I look at the data and make a purely logical decision uh, based on trend or, um, or what, the, what the data kind of tells us. Whereas actually sometimes it's not just about data, it's about how we feel and, and you know, so that's the balance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're so good at, and we made a living out of assessing businesses and, and people and all the rest of it. And we've definitely adopted it uh, in our personal lives as well. And I guess I'm curious, we've both experienced um, sort of challenging pasts or trauma in some way. And I'm wondering if that's kind of our response to it, you know? It's like, how, if we can compartmentalize and make sense of stuff, then some of the chaos that we've actually been through, we can, we can have some power or agency in making sense of. Yeah, my therapist says that, I mean, I've been in psychotherapy now for uh, nine, almost 10 years, I think. And uh, off and on, more on than off, and uh, I mean, the healthiest people ask for help. And I'm, one of the best things I ever did was begrudgingly go to therapy and sit there for half an hour and go, go on then, tell me, you know, see if you can work out what's wrong with me. Yeah. Um, and, and then gradually pulled my head out of my house. But, the, um, but the, uh, my therapist says that my love of order is because I don't feel abandoned, I, I cannot feel abandoned by data. So your love of order is because data will never abandon you. That's right. And so the, the numbers and the assessment will always be there sort of as a nice, cozy, comfort blanket. Yeah, you can't get given up at birth with data. You can't, get, um, you can't get abused. You can't get stabbed. You can't get any of the things that have happened to me have never happened but from data. They've happened with people, these, these bags of, of, of water that get tired. Um, that, that's, they're the things that are complicated. What I find easier to understand is algebraic equations and, um, and that, that stuff seems to, it doesn't lie. Um, interpretation lies, but the actual data doesn't. Um, and there's and, always more layers. You could just get lost in it, right? Yeah. I mean, some of my happiest times are, you know, modeling something that's in a workbook with 19 different tabs open and they all cross reference to each other and if functions and then and stuff that for me is even saying it puts me in my happy place. <laughs> you look happy. <laughs> it's like you're stressing me out. I think you're worse than I am. <laughs> worse? 19 that... tabs. Okay. It's not binary. Let's leave it at that. That's right. And it's not a volumatic game either. It doesn't matter how many tabs you've got open. Well, I'm just saying it. You, you got happy. I got stressed. That's all I'm saying. It's just the fe- I'm trying to connect more to my feeling place. <laughs> That's kind of what my trauma therapy is teaching me. I literally, I, I had a session yesterday and it's called somatic experiencing. And I just sat there. And he's like, anything you need to say before we start? And I start going, blah, 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 blah. And he's just like, all right, I think just, mm, let's just get into your body, right? And the entire session is just going, feel your toes. Can you feel your legs tingling? Because there's this grounding energy of like releasing trauma through the, like, the bottom half of your body. Um, and then, and I get emotional. He's like, where's the constriction? Like I describe it and I try and explain it. So I try and, you know, have a theory or explain it. And he's like, back to your body, back to your body, back to That's essentially all that we're doing. There's emotion. I get to places where I'm in total fear. And he's like, look, you're in a boring room in a boring office, you know, and my body's in, in total fear. And so like you, I've used um, data or understanding stuff or education or thinking as a way of protecting myself from what my body essentially 
is saying. Yeah, and I, I think that's, I think we're very similar on that. Um, I, f- I feel there's another part of it that, which is in, in understanding and in the increasing of understanding personally, um, I feel, I, from my therapy, I've realized that I am, there's an inherent trying, trying to better myself so that I'm more desirable. And yeah. somewhere down the line, my, in, my inherent bettering uh, morphed into actually an increasing of desire of me by me for me and actually not externalizing that desire requirement. So it's, so now I, I read um, vicariously every single day. I consume ridiculous volumes of content and think about stuff all the time, but also spend a lot of time in silence. And I know I'm not doing it now so that other people won't abandon me. I'm doing it so that I feel um, more comfortable in myself. And so somewhere down the line that changed. I don't know, I don't know where that happened. I think there becomes a, a, a negative impact of only using those things to, uh, you know, get other people's approval or not yeah. be abandoned or find love. Or for me, it was just to find acceptance and find my place, find my belonging, my tribe. And that was my driving force to get my education when that wasn't in my sort of cards. Um, but yeah, it becomes sort of, it's fulfilling for a while. And then when the fulfillment starts to falter, it's like, Ooh, what's my new why? Like actually how do I evolve into a new why? Yeah, I, I absolutely. And I think may, Oh, I think you've just, you may have just hit the nail on the head there somehow. I, I, when I do now know when it morphed and it was when I discovered that my why was to enable other people to think differently. And I, it then became really obvious that for that to happen, I need to actually be able to think differently. And Ooh. I need to be, yeah, so. Yeah. <laughs> it starts with you, right? Right, and so I, I think I, I manifested that and um, accidentally, if there is such a thing. And I've, I can actually, in my book, Powered by Change, the, 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 um, my most recent, my fifth book, um, the, my, my, the conclusion of the book is that I am actually powered by change. That's why I'm able to help other people be powered by change. So you can't just be a catalyst if you're not leading by example in the experience of it. Yeah, and, and, and I never realized until the book, funny enough, until bizarrely the day of the book launch, how much I actually had to walk it rather than talk it. So by the time I won the British Book Awards in... Uh, in May that year, I want to say, or maybe, no, fuck it, 11 months months later in March uh, 2019 when I won the awards, um, my kind of acceptance speech was along the lines of, you know, when I wrote the book, I didn't actually realise that I had to literally go through every single piece at the most granular level and actually live each 80,000 words. Um, And, 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 it should not be a surprise that my next book, which comes out in September 2020, um, uh, the I'm now actually living. The, I've now finished the book, finished the, manu, man, um, um, the manuscript, but I'm now actually living. It's like the, almost the day the manuscript was delivered, I had to actually live every single word of the manuscript. It's bizarre, really strange. So I'm torn. There's several things I want to, because I realized that the audience doesn't really know that much about your history. And um, 
be, you know, what happened there. I wonder if you'd give us just a, a slightly deeper uh, a, a kind of synopsis of the trauma that has built you, that has built your character. Uh, and then I want to go into, just so that I can <laughs> put some data in place, right, some, like, plans. Um, yeah, I want to know about what's fucked you up from this manuscript. And then also you've talked about manifesting. So if I forget about that, let's circle back to that as well, because okay. that's super interesting. So cool. synopsis, tell us. So um, being the only person of colour in the south of England, in the Surrey Hills in 1973 um, uh, onwards, was tough. You were a baby when you were adopted? Yeah, uh, foster, I was into f- five different foster homes first, but then um, then adopted. And But the first day of school um, was in a, an ex- a purely white um, middle-class school. Um, they'd never actually seen anyone with a suntan, uh, let alone Afro hair. Yeah. And so, yeah, my first day at school, a couple of the older guys pinned my hand down and um, uh, there's a green piece of lead still inside my hand my best tattoo if you like and uh, yeah they, they they punctured they stabbed my hand with a pencil and it, pencil went all almost all the way through my hand and um that was my first day of school um and 39 broken bones later and 11 years um i on my last day of school i was stabbed through the stomach uh, with a barbecue fork um um uh, another racial attack and so the uh, there were 214 racial attacks I had experienced over 11 years, and um, and I spent a considerable amount of time um, in and out of various different hospitals, and and everything's been broken. I mean, my nose has been broken um, seven, eight times. My every every other every bone you can see has been broken, and um, and that formed my. And then what I did was I managed to I got out of school went to college but kind of didn't really care that much about it and then found the most attractive um uh narcissist i could find and and married them and 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 felt extraordinarily comfortable inside a cycle of abuse that was not actually breaking bones and i loved the mental abuse um, in comparison to physical abuse at the beginning i found it much easier to deal with being gaslighted was kind of funny um at the beginning and pain, that kind of pain accumulates, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. And whereas and, and, a broken bone is imminent, is immediate. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I didn't realise that the scar, the scar tissue from, from mental abuse was um, far deeper. And the, um, the actual, the long tail, if you like, of mental abuse um, uh, is, it makes broken bones look like a cakewalk in comparison. I didn't realize that at the time. So I found it really comforting to be inside a, a non-physically abusive relationship after spending my entire life in a physically abusive one. Do you remember the moment that you realized it was mentally abusive? Yeah. Um, well, I remember when I realized it, I suspected it. And then I remember the nine years of denying it. And then I remember the stretch of time. And then I and then I arrived in psychotherapy. And my therapist said, All right, well, let's sketch out the patterns in your life. Let's sketch out what's going on and you know who who you attract into your life and and what situations you get into. And um and then she she actually drew it on a we still laugh about it now to this day. We she drew it on a whiteboard. And it was the first time I'd actually seen the pattern. And I was like, Fuck. Fuck. Was it the pattern of 
putting being in an abusive situation. Totally, a pattern yeah. would hey, can someone abuse me, please? Yeah, because um, uh, then I'll actually feel wanted, and yeah. and, and it goes around this cycle. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, fuck, it's me. And she was like, and she's like, listen, I'm a psychotherapist. I'm not giving you. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sit down and go. Are you feeling okay? I'm just showing you how you work. Yeah. And 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 I was just like. I mean, I couldn't start that. So first it was the shock and then there was this kind of anger at myself. Yeah. And then this sadness that I'd let myself, be, all of the abuse I'd, I'd had, I hadn't realized that I had actually played a part. I thought that abuse happened to me, not I had actually arrived into it as well. I didn't realize that shit. That yeah. whole responsibility pie concept was, was brand new. Blew my mind. Like shame? Like... Yeah. You said anger towards yourself. I mean, I identify with shame as well. Like, how could I be so stupid yeah. you know, to put myself in these situations? But we don't know what we don't know. Indeed. Um, and I, that, that shame and just be gutted at myself. I was looking at myself in the mirror and just going, Who, just shock. Yeah. Why, yeah, why would you fuck me over, you? And uh, you were on my side, me. I thought we had this. Yes, I thought um, it was just me and you. It's a big bad world. Damn it. <laughs> I thought you were my team. And uh, so, but, yeah, it was just, it was horrible. And then, and then, so got myself out of the marriage and. Um, Which is hard. Very it's super hard. There, like, that takes time. Yeah. And, and so, so changed my situation there. And then, and then actually, um, quite soon afterwards, um, found the most um, narcissistic, uh, arguably psychopathic, at least tendencies, business um, partner to basically replace the person that could abuse me. And, um, and, and then... When you met this business partner, what were your thoughts about them? Surely they weren't, oh, you're narcissistic, let's go with that. No, that's right. And of course, I'm not actually accusing anyone of being one thing or another, but the feeling was certainly, um, certainly one of, of similarity to, to those kind of experiences in my past. And, um, and, uh, and so... But it's weirdly familiar. Like, people might be asking, well, what is wrong with you two? Why would you keep, right? Like, all right, we get it. You're now aware. So you've been through the psychotherapy. She drew on the fucking whiteboard. And then you thought, I think um, the signposts that I, the things that I give off to attract it in, the abusive cycles in, are, are, are quite alluring. So I can become very engaged into something and an idea that, you know, let's do this, let's do this project. And, and, um, and that's kind of what happens. And then what I tend to do in, my, in this cycle is I tend to give my entire life um, tr I, I give, I overshare the trust. So rather than say, Hey, let's build something together as a kind of a, an H shape. What I do is I say, listen, I'm not even going to be a shape. You have access to it my entire life. You have my bank accounts. You have my keys to everywhere. You have every password to everything. And because I trust you so much. So um, the opposite extreme. So being consistently abused, but then it's like I will overtrust so that you will love me because I feel a void of some kind. And yeah. I, I feel that void. And also, I the the illogic thought is if I overtrust, then you won't abuse me because no one would abuse someone if they've if they've received an, a level of overtrust, which is a total fallacy. I now realise there's no um, boundaries. Yeah, and the boundaries I didn't have. 
and my therapist has worked with me a lot on the, on that the ability of boundaries and um and so and so now my um in my kind of third phase of abuse i'm now um in the uh in the the, the latter phases of the most vicious dark court case which is based on um entire um um uh, malicious um intent and and is degrading and depraving and is is violent and is a new version so the physical version was the first kind of formation years of my life and then there was this kind of mental version which 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 kind of created itself, which became apparent over time. Uh, and when I really realised what was going on, I was like, actually, this is not good for me or the kids or anyone. Actually, this is I, I you know, this is not good. And then the business version is is financial and um, and strategic and reputational, and it has been profoundly impactful on me. And it's the the thing that makes this the um, most interesting to observe is that I, um, I, I have not felt the shame or the grief at myself or the anguish or the, the you look at myself going, how did you let this happen? Um, this time I'm, I actually know exactly how it happened. And I, I, I kind of over, I certainly overshared, but equally the person that is now basically taking taking everything from me and my children's security, which is something that they will they they own in their they'll have to own in their in the darkness in their life um, to to ruin someone's uh, to ruin a caring parent's financial security of their kids is is a is a move and a half, especially if it's based on absolute fiction of of a case. Um, I think that I'm I'm actually quite grateful that there's a uh, that there's a kind of clear understanding of what's really going on what my part was what their part was uh, i'm going to end with with um kind of like a blank slate start again type thing my my everything i've built which was my legacy for my children has has been um demolished by this and um and i i feel extremely grateful for that for that insight um uh, and and i don't feel i don't look at myself and go how could you let this happen now um, I know I know that it won't happen again in my life, um, and I've never said that before. I've never said that I knew that it wasn't going to happen again. I actually know this won't happen again in this way because I know I don't actually practice those uh, cycles anymore, um, and I used yeah, to. So I want to so I want to talk about that, and I want to note that during the mental abuse, you were if we go to the phase two bit, parallel to that, you were building a massively successful life. And yep. so sometimes people don't realize that duality, right? Um, when I was in some of my, um, I was recovering from alcohol abuse and in my emotionally abusive relationship, I was also building up my education and, you know, and people don't see that. Like, I want to just check in of like, how is that possible? Is that how we've learned to compartmentalize and mm -hmm. be like this abuse here, emotions here, data, let's make it into our superpower over here. Yeah, I threw myself into setting up business um gleefully working until three in the morning starting at six in the morning um because the alternative was to be more present in my marriage and, and and i was avoiding being in that um it became more complicated when the kids came because i love my kids and i wanted to spend more time with them and so 
I would be present when they were awake. So just before school and just after school and then go sleep. And then I'd, and then I'd be building business. And, um, and, and that's not healthy actually. And, and, and I, anyway. yeah. yeah. And I played a huge part in my marriage breaking down by not being as, um, as present. And maybe in fact, if I had been more, um, compliant, maybe there would have been a way of through discourse perhaps, uh, or joint therapy, actually navigating our, our, um, our, our, our angle yeah. but I suspect that wouldn't have been the case because there's an evolution there's a, uh, a, a an, an existentialist difference between our beliefs um, she believed that and believes that um, happiness isn't um, important obligation to the church is important um, when you say you're married under God you've now made a pact with God and if you break that pact regardless of how unhappy you are or how abusive things are then you're going to hell uh, my version from from a more um, uh, scientific viewpoint and less of a dogmatic one, uh, which is probably the most polite, polite way of saying anything about that, is that um, is that that's total horseshit. Yeah, <laughs> super diplomatic. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, but it just shows that you know, yes, relationships could be figured out, but if you're coming from totally different perspectives and evolving in totally different ways, it's really hard to find that bridge in the middle. Um, and so you move into phase three and you say that now you know that it will never happen again. And how? Because I feel like it was, you were probably blindsided a little bit, even though in hindsight, you, you can see the business thing and you can see your part and their part, but, it, but it's in hindsight more than at the beginning, I think, yeah. right? Yeah, how can we prevent repeat cycles of abuse? I, can I know that my behavior has changed. So what I, what I know is that my patterning is different. What I don't know is whether I run into anyone who is a, is a maniac or has a, a great deal of um, past hurt that they're bringing into a, a situation, which is what I didn't realize in my, with the business partner that I know in this issue with uh, my ex-business partner. I didn't realize that actually there's, there's an entire patterning in their life that actually makes observation I can see and, and that they'll be in exactly the same situation five years time with someone else in 10 years time and 15 years they'll continually do this unless they change unless yeah, they that's right. radically change. and so yeah. I and so I I can um I can see the bits that I've that I no longer do and um my and you know what that boundary thing that oversharing boundary thing that's a too, that's too gentle a way of me describing my behavior because it's that's actually being too generous on myself that, that oversharing part is partly ego and partly a, a, a status passport symbol of, of saying, you know, I, I'm, I, I make these grand gestures of, you know, you, let's, let's do this and you can take everything and, and whatever. That's, that's actually quite in itself potentially an abusive um, uh, patterning. Because you are creates the in the other in the receiver the burden of reciprocity to some extent, the burden of of feeling that, that this person is being so generous to me, therefore I feel somehow obliged to reciprocate in certain ways, and I'm creating a contract, um, albeit a tacit one, that um, that is in place that expects some level of service agreement. Uh, backward and so that's probably more fair way of saying that I you know otherwise it sounds a bit romantic I'm just such an oversharer sure uh, or grand gestures can feel romantic as well of like you know the big dreamer the ide idealist of like you know let's build this thing together and it's going to be magical and wonderful um I can definitely be a bit guilty of that as well but then for me 
I then get scared and pull right the fuck back. Mm. So I'm not necessarily waiting for the abuse. I've certainly been in those situations. Um, but then I'll just pull right back and then I can almost be cold and just be like, Ooh, you know, out of my own fear freeze place. So my trauma therapy is very much like you spent, you spent so much time in freeze, which I thought was like, Oh, that's all right. But actually it's like, if there's a triangle of the, the, there's the polyvagal theory is about your nervous system. Freeze is like the worst. Basically you're now anticipating death. So you're just like hopeless, lay down, die, you know, and then fight or flight is actually progress. Um, so I'm actually more in fight or flight these days, which is a lot of emotional, uh, I can't just hide in the data. <laughs> um, but I know, but my therapist is going, this is progress. Ooh. He's like, Ooh, you're afraid. Amazing. You sit in fear. Great. That means you have feelings. I'm like, huh, really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, yeah. I, that vulnerability is something which I've admired with, with, um, what you've been doing, especially in the. In, in podcast 120, which was you and um, your boyfriend, David, um, I think that kind of vulnerability, which where you, you showed and he showed, which I find extremely attractive in, in especially in the male yeah. of, of being open about your feelings and stuff and not being, you know, the kind of the, the you know, emotionless kind of stiff upper lip. Um, but I, I, I find that vulnerability very admirable in, from both of you on that. And I, I, I've felt that my, in a, in a strange way, it's almost, I've almost been over vulnerable in the past to, to be almost only feeling and, and no logic, you know, with, with in, in the most recent business situation of, of kind of saying, you know, I, I just feel that, that I don't need to worry about any of these things because you can look after the. You just uh, show up and do the talent. The, yeah, the you, like stage yeah, thing. Yeah, I didn't realize that you know that meant that that this other person could go and create secret bank accounts. So I didn't, you know, I didn't realize that. But the, um, and so I've, I've had to become more not had to, but I've I've chosen to and enjoyed becoming more reasoned in in things and. Um, and be more open with my insecurities in a relationship and, and be like, just, just kind of arrive with a turn up, a turn up with this kind of, this, um, open book, um, warts and all, flaws and all. Um, and rather than then give the book to someone and go, now you do what you want with that. Actually say, this is my book. It's, it's my book. I own this book. This is me. And let's have a look at your book and then we'll actually look at the books, that, the pages that have similarities on it. And maybe we can actually create chapters together and, and stuff. And, and in, the, in the past, what I've done is, here's my book. It's actually kind of closed because I'm, you know, because I'm actually quite insecure about loads of stuff. But you have the entire book. Yeah. Do and, it what you will. Yeah. And, and then you get this disappointment, this, yeah, of course, you're open to abuse, but, but even if you, you, you lose agency over the direction of the relationship. So regardless of, you know, for people who are listening who aren't like haven't experienced trauma, but they're trying to navigate the world and this balance between reason versus vulnerability. Um, really it's about openness. No, it's self-awareness, first of all, self-awareness. Yeah. You've been through loads of therapy. I've done loads of therapy and all sorts of uh, work on myself um, in order to know our part in things. And equally, if we get stuck in cycles of like, oh, I'm somewhere, why am I here? It's your fault. To kind of go, actually, what were the 10 steps before that led me to be in this interaction, right? And yeah. to 
and to manage the, and I know we like, I like words like negotiation and relationships. I don't like compromise, but I like negotiation. Um, right. Yes. Yeah. It's more business-like, and that means that it's safer. It's so safer, yes. <laughs> uh, David just rolls his eyes and it's like, oh, we're there again, are we? <laughs> um, he's like, just give me a hug. And then when I have like physical contact and feel safe, I'm like, oh, oh, right. We can, we can meet in the middle and do what you're saying, which is, what are your chapters? What are your chapters? But tell me more about like showing your insecurity. How is that different maybe from the vulnerability that got walked on in the past? That's a very good question, actually. And there's, there is a uh, differentiator between the two. And it's something that I've spent a great deal of time in psychotherapy, especially last year, um, uh, the beginning of last year, primarily, uh, on the difference between turning up as me with my open book yeah. vers- versus um, using a proxy authenticity of kind of, here's my book, but which is actually kind of shut but you own it and you can burn it if you like. Um, it's my version of it. Yeah. And that's actually, that versioning is diff- is a difference, but also it's the, uh, you've, you've hit the nail on the head in terms of the, the loss of agency with giving someone your whole book versus showing them the internals of your, of your actual book. And, and the, it is, is it is which, which powers are given. It's similar to um, having a gun collection and I'm not a fan of guns. I don't believe that they're, they're healthy or positive in any way, but it's like having a gun collection. And, and, and you, I go around to your place and I open, I open my gun collection and go, here are my guns. This is these are my gun. And I've got this one and this one, this one, this one. There's a small one and a big one and a, and a thing. This is a silver one and whatever. That's it. And this is what they mean to me and everything else. And then I package it all up and then we look at your gun collection. And that's different than if I open up, my, open up part of my gun collection and then hand it to you. And so here are the bullets. And so here are the bullets. And, um, and, and I absolutely love everything you do. You can shoot it in any direction, including my direction. Yeah. And, that's, and they're two different. That's how my therapist explained um, the difference between them. I want to translate the guns into <laughs> something because I'm scared now. Um, <laughs> no, no. Um, like, <laughs> that might be. Um, like your triggers and like stuff that affects you in relationship. Just to use that relationship analogy, it can be in other ones as well. Yeah, the trigger and and for me the the I what, what I'm enjoying in 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 uh, my relationship is that um, is that I've never been in in a relationship where there has been this level of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> slightly, slightly sounds slightly negative to say it this way, but it's bleak honesty, like bleak honesty of this um, going down into the depths of issues to their absolute core, and and where there's no makeup and glitter, and the lighting isn't fucking good, and 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 it's just and it's just it's just the base it's level, good. yeah, yeah. And I've never, I've never, I wish I could say that I've done that before. I, I'd love to. I'd love to say that, you know, and I have been in honest relationships. But, but people think honest is like, oh, where were you on Thursday? And who are your friends? And, you know, we're honest because we know that we can trust and that person's not cheating and they, they went over there and these are their interests. But you're talking about honesty from like my insecure, like I'm scared right now and I know it's not about you, but it's about when I was abused as a kid 
And that's what's showing up in the relationship. I feel attacked, like, whoa. Yeah, and that, that is what I, I admired that about your, um, your podcast with David, um, because you both talk about that. And in fact, um, my fiance and I have got this similar, um, we've got a, a taxonomy set of things that we, you know, we, we can get in and out of situations when we're down there at the base. It's like in, 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 in the inception. DiCaprio, the inception, the, you go all the way down to the, the subconscious when you arrive at the shores of your subconscious um, and like the base level of inception. When you're down there, sometimes you need to have... So a, I want to just translate that for the layman. When shit's going down and you want to kill each other, yeah, <laughs> then this data helps. Yeah. <laughs> gone down somewhere to like, yeah, and, ooh, and, ugly. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I've had to, um, and I'm still working on it, okay, so this is not, this is, Everything's a work in progress, as I'm saying. But the one of the things that I've realised I've had to deal with is when you're down there at the base level of who you are and who they are, it's not attractive, and there's no way you can pull that off as being sexy. No. And and um, and so I've had to actually get over the fact that that part, those these parts of me, um, someone could look at and go. I don't want any part of this. Yeah, yeah. But and it freaks them out. It can trigger their own stuff about something else, right? You, you just don't know the outcome. And it's so, and, and that's been something, I, I try and manage any fear in my life um, carefully. I observe it as opposed to try and be identified by it or accidentally be identified by it. But the, if I were to, I have, I, have, I have found that very scary to walk into and just sit there in front of someone and look at them in the eye and say, this is how I feel. But then more importantly, listen to how they feel and their base layer and actually try and listen to it and, and not hear it as an attack, even if it involves something you've done. That's massive. That's yeah. But I think what we both do in our relationships in different ways is try and set the container for those conversations or the environment. So, you know, it's not always going to work in a really useful way, but once, but, so we, but we've had to have experiences where it didn't work well of like, oh, I did feel attacked or I did feel these sorts of things. Or we've had that in previous relationships, which has taught us like, oh, I don't want to go there. It's not useful for any kind of healthy outcome of a relationship. And so you have certain kind of rules or, or things that you use, right, to kind of uh, allow you guys to listen and to support growth and moving forward, like taking a step back. Um, and we certainly do lots of reflection after stuff happens. So mm. even if it goes to shit, we'll go on a long walk so yeah. soon after and we'll just talk about like, when that happened, what was actually going on for me was this. I couldn't say it in the moment. Like for me, I freeze, so I really can't say it. Like my mouth, like I literally can't talk in certain moments of fear. And so um, we've had to navigate what that looks like, but then talk later to review it, right? We so do the same. Guys, yeah, you do something just to set the We, we do the same. And, and I have a, uh, it's a feature and a flaw in me, but I'm able to speak off the top of my head relatively eloquently in detail on the fly. And she is more thoughtful. She consider things. Yeah, and she's considered and she's, um, and she likes to, to consider these things all together and then form an opinion and, and whatever. And so what, I've, what, I, what I try and do, and I probably fail more than I succeed at it, is to be respectful of the fact that we have different communication styles when we're in um, that type of prickly-ish 
you're in fight or flight because it becomes yeah. yeah and and i think that i've um you know in the past i could have called it i could have called it a, a, a an intellect of mine because i'm able to just think of things on over the top of my head but whether it is an intellect or not it's actually disrespectful if it's not being appreciative of someone else's communication style well it can uh, almost feel like bullying yeah from yeah, being, being the perpetrator of just like my idea because i'm good at this let's sort it out now and not take into account yeah yeah and 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 i'm I mean, I've literally just recorded my, I just did a live masterclass yesterday um, on the art of persuasion. Uh, and I'm doing masterclasses throughout, you know, actually probably, I, I can't see myself ever stopping doing masterclasses actually, but I enjoy doing these online masterclasses with people. And, and, I, and I did a two hour masterclass on the art of persuasion. And I went through 23 different layers down to the base layer of the deepest, darkest arts of persuasion. So we passed NLP early doors early doors and we go all the way down 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 deep in and i realized even as i was doing the masterclass that that i can i can use any of those tools in ways of persuading any form of conversation to go in one direction or another and and that's it can be very manipulative if it's not used with authenticity and integrity right because you can just be catching people out through your word ninjaism and not necessarily connecting at a heart level. So it doesn't necessarily build relationship. It yes. persuades, but does it foster a long-term sustainable business or personal relationship, right? And in fact, one of the, one of the main um, issues I've had in, in, in my past, I'd say, is that I've created environments where I've un, unknowingly, I've, I have accidentally on purpose constructed a relationship around the resonance that isn't really a resonance it's a resonance between a version of myself and a version of the receiver's self uh let's say i'm approaching them with me or me and the other person in whichever whichever way but the hierarchy that the the construct is based not on an authentic um understanding it, and, and i've and i've misused in my past being on stage as creating a, a subliminal hierarchy. And so I'd meet someone and they would think that they're watching this J-Mac dude. Yeah. On stage with like 55 incredible slides. Your best self. Yeah. In his flatty suit and everything else. And, the, and I've actually used that to, um, to do multiple things. I've used it to, to, to get into and out of various different relationships, professional, personal, whatever and actually turned up into those professional or personal relationships as the guy on stage. Who isn't the full, well-rounded you. Certainly not an emotionally intelligent, considered no. person who's actually trying to work on themselves. The person on stage is, is someone who... It's together and has it all figured out. Yeah, and, and I, although the good thing is the red thread between the two is the things I say on stage are also true in what I believe. So it, I'm not actually selling any form of snake oil, but the uh, the... The version is um, is laser sharp, together, all the components fit, and everything's possible. There's only optimism, and there's only hope for the future. And and the darkness is something that is purely a mindset, and 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 fear is just weakness, you know, leaving your body and all this kind of bullshit. And it, and and I, I just I just don't. That's that's a a version that is useful in a business context on stage and it and it's a part of who i am but and also to be honest with you i've 
I found that it's not as easy to translate information about businesses on stage. If you walk up on stage and speak about the last 20 therapy sessions that you've had, discussing um, whether or not you actually still wish that you were born, uh, grew, grew up in a family where you belonged. You know, and that you doesn't... Do that. You should do that on stage. <laughs> um, I love that you're saying this about like the do, let's do, let's do we could do a double act. Um, I love the, the duality of like, yes, on stage, we talk about the best outcomes and the mindset formulas and all of that to hack progress and all these sorts of things. But, and, and that the darkness is just like release it. And if your mindset's on and you're investing in yourself then all, you know, um, but what you're going through at the moment, lawsuit, losing your, your, your children's inheritance, like you're essentially at a new rock bottom point. And I know you, you've also got a fiance and you've got all this like hopefulness, wonderfulness, but often they're intertwined. Like it's, it's, it's rare that we're just in these happy, perfect mindset places, right? We still have to challenge the darkness. And I don't know, like, have you had moments of despair? Like what's been going on recently as far as your emotional state or have you just been hacking it and been like, well, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, well, if you spoke to my fiance, she'd tell you exactly. What it <laughs> we'll get her on next. <laughs> God. Um, she has, she has the patience of the saints to put up with me. I think, um, I, I have, I would say, for, if I were to map it out, I would say for every 10 hours, I would spend about 15 minutes in moments of despair. And uh, I, ha I, I, after about 15 to 20 minutes or 30 minutes in every 10 hours, after then I tend to kind of uh, use any of my mapping systems that I've created. I mean, my next book is all about mapping hack, mind hacks and, and mind control. So, so I just use any of the 80,000 words tools <laughs> and and it only takes me about 15 20 minutes now but I don't actually talk myself out of that despair in a way of covering it over with a band-aid um it, sure, like don't feel that yes like, I do feel that stop feeling so sad yeah um, uh, so what I do instead is I, I I embrace the despair to its absolute core and trying to put my arms around it and and say, yeah, I hear you. I hear you, Mr. or Mrs. Despair. I, I, it's gender free, actually. I, I hear, I hear you. I, I respect you so much, and you serve a brilliant purpose in my life. You are, you are right to, to belong in my life. This, just, you are the, you are the best version of despair. Um, and it's the purpose of despair. Yeah, well, and and actually, my my purpose, the way I view despair in my life is that it enables me to consider parts of the spectrum of feeling that aren't opportunistic and motivational and whatever. Sometimes uh, I feel that everything has gone to shit and I'm now kicked so hard in the guts and by, by, by absolute falsehoods that, um, that are continually um, resonating throughout um, in reputational slander and um, plagiarism, I, I sometimes just go, that, I'm fucked, that's it, everything's, everything's now, I'm, I'm, this is it. And, and then, and so I go, right, that's okay, it's good, because now I can experience that depth. Yeah, give it some space, sit there. But then what I don't do, and this is the critical thing, is I don't say, I am despair. I am fucked. I, this is it. I am like, yeah, yeah. 
I don't. It's like, okay, I recognise that there is an element of despair that, that is saying, that is, the despair is saying, I am fucked, it's all gone to shit, there's never going to work. And I look at that despair and, and it, I sit it somewhere and go, I hear you. Fucking hear you, man. It sucks. Wow. This is really the lowest fucking point ever. Wow. And then I go, okay, cool. Now I'm going to have to go over here for a bit. What are, what are one of the tricks that you use to like hack your way from that? So once you've listened to despair that allows you personally to step out of it or move or shift your viewpoint. Well, the, the, the biggest in, in total, I would say the first, there's so many tricks. The first, the one I'm going to use, I, I call response for sake of argument. There's, there's, 25 or 30 different uh, tools you can use to hack out of that. But the first, the one that I would use is, is response. Uh, I tend to use response the most. Response works in this way. Um, you sit it and respect it and fine, but then insert a pause. And in that pause between you allowing it to continue or whatever, on that pause, you accept that there's a position of separation between you and it. And you actually itemize either um, you can write it down or you can do it in your head. I tend to write it down because then it becomes super real. You itemize the bits that aren't parts of your identity. So for instance, everything's fucked, everything's gone to shit, belies the fact that I have two healthy children and my adoptive parents are still alive. And I've almost never been healthier than I am now in my life. And, and I can play guitar and I love playing guitar. And my fiance exists and loves me. And, 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 and so I, add, I write down all these and, right? And there's, there's a shit ton of these and all of the reasons why nothing is totally fucked and everything's gone to shit. And that, that response, the response now I can make is whether or not despair versus my actual life is, is uh, congruent or not. And so I can now choose my response accordingly and I choose to respond in a way of saying, look, I'm going to double down on all the good stuff. Um, and that choice of response is what I use. And I do that every day. <laughs> uh, well, at the moment, it sounds like you probably have to do it once or even twice a day, right? right. Um, and, and I recognize through the trauma stuff that I'm going through that is bringing up this fight or flight response that I'm not, I want to freeze and I want to use work to avoid. Like I want to. I'm at, work is my happy place. I want to zone in on that. Um, but having that compassion but equally the ability to have that conversation in my head, sorry if I sound insane, but the one of like, this is so hard, maybe it's gonna ruin everything, my body's fucked, like, oh, fuck them, the trauma's still there, I thought I was past it, you know, all that kind of blah, blah, blah. Um, versus, ooh, I wonder where, almost an excitement of like, I wonder what this like weight training is doing to build me up for the next level of mm. life, right? And also the perspective of like, growth is my purpose, Success isn't my purpose. I want some success and I like the fulfillment of what I do and, you know, and I would like income because I can support some of my siblings and like there's all this why stuff connected to it. But that's not actually the purpose for me and purpose is a whole other podcast in itself, right? But for me, if I hold in mind that growth is my, my roadmap, then you, this rock bottom here is like bring it on in a way. Okay. I don't know. How do you view just that meta view of like where you're headed? Uh, I, I view it identically with the changing of one word, and um, which is great because we see that we our taxonomies are different. My word I, is ev is e evolve as opposed to grow, or evolution as opposed to grow. 
Um, and uh, but I I have it's really str- I don't think I've ever said this publicly. I somewhere inside me, and I don't know where it sits, and it's not a thought; it's a feeling. But if I were to verbalise it, it's a feeling that ultimately everything's going to be all right. And, and I don't know why it exists, but, and I've, I felt it when I was, I was actually bleeding to death when I was 16. Um, and I remember the feeling of blood, the bloodletting and it's, and it's very strange. It's kind of, it's kind of a cold feeling. It feels like someone's actually rubbing an ice cube on your stomach. And all of these faces around me are these shocked look of, and I didn't realize I was in a pool of like a meter wide pool of blood. And when the ambulance eventually arrived, I was probably about 10 minutes away, apparently from dying. And it felt tremendous. Even then I knew that everything was going to be all right. And so I, I just feel that when things are absolutely terrible and to, I've never been fucked over as much as now. Um, and I am literally at the reset button, but I have, if I'm able to think I'm able to survive because I'm able to help other people think differently. And that has consistently been able to be monetized to a state of being able to buy food and shelter. And, um, if I'm able to breathe, i.e. be alive, if I'm able to breathe and I'm able to think, then you can take everything else. You can take everything. I don't actually give that much of a shit about anything else. Um, I'm now, you know, I'm at a stage now where I'm, I've to pay for ridiculous legal bills. I've had to sell loads of things. I've had to, um, I've had to, you know, downgrade and downsize various different things in my life. And it, it is on one hand a horrible situation, but actually I had had enough anyway and and when i you know I've, i have too much arguably i actually just need to breathe and i need to think and I, I love experiencing love and um and those three things aren't something that that someone can sue you out of um or someone can feel as if they can they can beat you with you can never actually you, you can't actually fight also you can't fight hate with hate it doesn't work you, you can't fight fire with fire um and yeah, so I'm, and yeah. yeah reconnected with what's truly important yeah and it sounds a bit hippie and a bit woo woo but um it's what i choose and i genuinely think everything's going to be all right and i just have an i just ultimately just am glad that that i'm alive and that i'm able to to you know the feedback from yesterday's masterclass petra this guy super super senior media guy from the print media world his feedback was so fucking profoundly lovely and i put it on my instagram and everything else like that and he responded like 60 seconds after the masterclass finished. He was like, oh, this, is, you know, this is exactly how masterclass should be. And I was like, I've helped someone grow and evolve. And, um, and I just felt that's, that's just kind of like, I feel, I feel affirmed. I still have a purpose. I still have uh, the ability to help other people. And, um, and it doesn't really matter what I've got, provided I can still do that. I'm, I'm, I'm still here and, and I feel pretty optimistic about stuff. Um, I just want to circle back to the, the manifestation question, right? And like, um, obviously it's a rabbit hole if we think about it theoretically, but I just want to ask from a personal perspective, 
do you believe that we manifest what's in our lives? And if so, have you manifested the shit bits as well? Yeah. Well, one thing is for sure is that our body doesn't know the difference between uh, an experience and the thought of an experience. So if we think of an experience, um, like for instance, uh, the, we think that we're coming down with something, then our, our body actually genetically arranges itself to come down with something. And so uh, manifestation is a fact. Uh, it's just an actual scientific fact. So um, I also believe, looking at it from an equally scientific perspective in terms of energy, uh, which everything actually is, resonating at different speeds, that we tend to attract things to us that we're focusing on. Um, and I know the most com you know, confounding theories of quantum mechanics will show us that, that observation actually is the key in all of nature. What we observe actually exists and what we don't observe doesn't. Therefore, if we're observing something, it will manifest. And if we don't observe it, it won't manifest. What we focus on happens. Everything I've said so far could be seen with some weirdo hippie stuff, um, but luckily it's backed up by the entire history of science. So, um, yeah, manifestation isn't a version of something that could be true. It is the way that nature is. And um, provided, of course, it isn't created by a guy sitting on a cloud. Um, that is um, something that, that I love about manifestation and I've noticed is so powerful that measuring stuff and focusing on stuff makes stuff happen. And when you don't, it doesn't. And I look at people saying, oh, I just can't understand why I haven't actually got the type of job that I want. And I say, well, how much have you focused on it? And I yeah. say, well, I've applied, I've applied to three. And I'm like, that's not a focus. No, no. Yeah. I want you to apply to 193 and spend six hours a day doing it for six weeks. And I bet you, I, I'll place money on it that you but will... Then, but you're talking about the, the, the both sides of focusing on it as far as a thought and intentionality and action. And I think sometimes people miss that point. It's like focus is the doing and the being. You know, and this is the thing about the secret that I'm yes. no to Rhonda Byrne. Um, one, of, one of my concerns about some theorizing around intent manifest is, is that you just have to think about being rich. And it, does, it, doesn't, it doesn't happen. There is a, there's a hidden subtext in all of those type of writings, which is, and now do it. And I call it knowing doing trend. And every, you know, 70% of smokers know that they should give up and 11% of them do it. I would say 95% of businesses, empirically, not scientifically, 95% of businesses think that they're innovating fast enough and about 5% of them are innovating fast enough. But because they think they're innovating fast enough, they actually do genuinely think that and they're like, well, we are. And I'm like, well, show me the evidence. Where's your procedural mapping? You've got an 18 month time frame of bringing new products to market. That's not innovating fast enough. And they go, we are. I'm like, says who says we we are and it's like no, no you need you need more than that you actually then need to structure what you do to enable what you're intending to happen to happen there needs but to like, be people yeah, and focus is just a good catch-all phrase in a way because it's going focus like by thinking about it and almost obsessing about what that could look like feeling into it visualizing whatever words you might want to use which i swear by actually um plus relentless action and we want to be careful it's not just about like burning yourself out but it's about focused attention and action on heading in that direction do that for a year see where you end up
That's right. I mean, I've, I've been trying to learn the splits. Each year I, I, I flip a coin between two, two things. Like oh, yeah, one. how's that going? Well, for last week I haven't done any of my stretches and I haven't made any progress. Well, oh, really? I wonder why. Have you thought about it enough? I can't work I it out. Think about the splits more. I need, I need to hire a consultant. Yes. <laughs> That's a super good, almost simplistic answer, right? Um, example, I mean, which is if you want to get that thing done, Am I just going to think about it or am I going to think about it and practice it and create space and time to, you know, give it attention? Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm losing weight at the moment um, to get down to a sub, um, to, to a weight in, in the 80s uh, kilos that I, that I prefer myself in. I feel lighter and more comfortable. And I'm going to be the fittest I've been in my adult life at the age of 50, which is in three years time. And so I'm, I'm, I'm neatly arriving at that, that feeling. And um, so because of that, I track every single item of everything I consume on my, on my um, fitness pal and, I, and everything I exercise is all mapped so my calories uh, are, are properly mapped and and then i if i stop mapping for two days the weight goes up then i start mapping and the weight goes down and as far as i'm concerned i haven't eaten or drunk anything different and so i'm it's perception you're not really yeah but what actually happens is you walk past the fridge and you just go oh bit of cottage cheese I'll look at that. or i just have an extra i'll have an extra two sugars in the coffee or i'll, I'll um just have a small snack yeah just have a small snack it's not, it doesn't really count it's a rovita yeah 10 of them because it's other yeah, yeah, yeah. so so but, the, but when you measure whatever you measure happens and one of the things that i would like this is a massive tangent but actually it makes total sense in my head one of the things that i would like about climate change to be more obvious is the measurement realities of what's going on the actual like what we can measure in our own lives of our own carbon footprint impact and our sustainability level and what our companies are doing so i go to a company and say we'll see what kind of how are you sourcing energy to power these lights and they go we plug in the lights to to the electric points i'm like hold on has anyone actually ever asked about yeah. where the fucking electricity is coming from i i think the more we measure things then they tend to be able to be manipulated to our favor and if we don't measure them then they don't and and that's figure out where you're headed that's right that's manifestation that's how i view manifestation it's not a magic wand manifestation it's actually getting shit done yeah i mean i think manifestation is the one place where i do i am more on a feeling level i'm less um spreadsheety which is interesting I just apply that to my relationships. <laughs> um, I'm less spreadsheety. I know. Um, and I will, I visualize. I, I do. Like I, I can just, and I can dream. Like I dream on paper. So I go, you know, where do I want to be? How do I want to feel? How much money am I making? Who are the people in my life? Um, how, how fit am I? Like how, like I'll, and I'll just like journal that shit out. And I'll probably do it annually, maybe biannually in, in big kind of detail, right? Um, but then I put the three, well, I always have goals, but they're not necessarily so strategically mapped that end result. I just know, like you, that I'm going to get there. Yeah. I just know. Well, I, I, Petra, I, I agree. The third part of my ne next book uh, in September 2020, the third section is about what you've just said, because I also agree that... that so I, I, by visualizing things and dreaming stuff out, and so no spreadsheet, just sketching or Pinterest boards or, or yeah. whatever it is... Um, the big view, yeah, and and that the ability to to create and it's in a section called impact um, in, in my next book that that um, 
is then able to be scientifically um, reverse engineered from the future state backwards. So um, a very, very brief example is, let's say we have a goal, a big, audacious, scary, hairy goal, dream, or maybe just a nice state to feel, a feeling of peace or a feeling of calm or whatever. Um, you can then cross match that with what you're doing in your life that is forward, moving forward into that future or away from that future, and then start accounting the, the parts that actually aren't helping you achieve it. And if you, for instance, want to be a certain weight or you want to have a certain type of relationship, um, let's say it's a certain type of relationship, you want to be in a loving, compassionate, caring relationship with someone who really desires you and you desire them, um, but you're actually waking up at six in the morning, you're coming back from work at 11 at night, you put pot noodles in the microwave, you crash out, you wake up in the morning and go to work. You're not actually giving yourself any time to allow that future no. step. You're not investing, you're not creating the space. Yeah, and what it does help me in the circling back thing is what I say yes to and what I say no to. So simple, simple, black and white, I say yes to things that are in line with that overall vision and are likely to get me there. I say no to things, it's, still, it's, not, it's a work in progress, but I say no to things. And, and sometimes I say yes to those things and then I resent them and then I'm like, why did I say yes? And so it's that kind of back and forth where I'm just like, oh no, that's not part of that figure aligned vision. Uh, and it's reflecting back into that consistently. Um, when's the book out? Remind us of the title. I'm not allowed to say the title yet. Oh, damn it. Okay, but there is a anyone, book out. Anyone who's watching this between now and July will know that I have an online discussion group which is about thinking. Oh, how yeah. mysterious. And it's highly, highly likely that the book will have the same title, except I'm contractually not allowed to say it. <laughs> oh, I love this. Uh, your previous book is Powered by Change. Powered by Change. That's a bit more of your personal story, which I loved in that one. Yeah. 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 Got got the, the, the next book is not going to refer... It, yeah, it's personal, but it's not going um, to repeat the personal story of Powered by Change. Here's the very, very quick, 10 seconds. My next book is the prequel to Powered by Change. So I'm doing the whole Star Wars. Ooh, you're I like a mind ninja. I yeah. went back in time and wrote you what you should have known before you got to that one. That's right. And that was an accident, right? So I'm sitting in the publishers and they're like, so have you got another book? Have you got another book in you? And I was like, fuck it. Yeah, I've always got books. I've got, yeah, I can, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Know, yeah, yeah. Somewhere. Yeah. So they were like, they were saying, so what are you going to talk about? And so I told them what I would really want to speak about. And they said, so it's kind of like what you need to know before you read Powered by Change. I was like, yeah. And then immediately post-rationalized it in my head. I was like, this makes total sense. Every, every author can do this whenever they want. It doesn't mean that I fucked up and wrote the wrong book first at all. It means that now I'm going to write, yeah. So it's, oh, I it's love that phrase, post-rationalized. <laughs> That's what so I do. So that's totally intentional. Totally intentional. I meant to do it. So, yeah, of course, obviously. Well, the universe, you know, you manifested it without really totally knowing it. Yes. Yeah. Um, what about the masterclasses? How can people sign up if they're interested? Yeah, so, so jonathanmcdonald.com forward slash masterclasses. Um, I, they, I've, they run all the way through February, and then for March they'll be pre-recorded. You can, you can buy them uh, post-hoc. Uh, so at the moment they're live, so you can ask me questions and stuff. I run them every week, two or three times a week, daytimes, evenings, weekends. Um, and they're on The Art of Persuasion, Game Changing Ideas, How to Create Crazy Badass Million Dollar Ideas, um, Unfair Competitive Advantage, so how to compete with competitors who don't even know how you're winning, and then how to make money in your sleep. So creating passive um, 
uh, income streams. And so those, those are the four themes at the moment, but my ambition is to create dozens of different masterclasses over time and just enable my 30 years of business experience to be loaded into formats that people can consume and then propel. Uh, and they're priced way too cheap. I mean, I, you know, from someone who used to charge £18,000 to speak on stage for 45 minutes, my masterclass is like 100 quid and 50 quid or something. So, um, oh God, it's I, like a steal just to get into your head and get all yeah. the knowledge. That is ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's not, I'm not doing it for the cash. I'm doing it because I need to. I need, this is now my legacy. Um, devoid of all other legacy that I'd created. This I know. is. I know. There's time. Yeah. Um, so final question. Uh, do you think that we need adversity in order to, to use your word, evolve to kind of catalyze it into our advantage? Do we need it? Can we do this stuff without it? I think that we don't have a choice. Right. <laughs> so it's not embrace it. Right. Yeah. So, and, and it's kind of the shit happens thing, but, we don't have a choice. Diversity, adversity is as natural an occurrence as the sunshine. And so the, the likelihood of experiencing the sunshine in your life is almost 99.999% certain, unless you're just in a cave. Similar to adversity. Your likelihood of experiencing adversity is 99.999% certain, unless you are a Tibetan Trappist monk and your entire life is eat rice, plant garden, meditate, eat rice, sleep, eat rice, plant garden, meditate. And Even then your garden can fail. You could have some bad weather. You could get kidney failure or you could have a physical, like maybe it's just a slower, but still part of well, I've I've spoken to some of those Tibetan monks and oh. they didn't feel that that would be adverse at all. They'd feel that that was exactly the right thing for the plant. That would just be natural. That's okay. right. But, so, that perspective then. but the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. Shit happens. And, and, and so I like, like what I love about this series and the, the purpose that you have in this is that it's enabling people, I believe anyway, and I've witnessed maybe several dozen of your, uh, of the, of the podcast, which I feel I should do more than because there's at least a hundred more than I've listened to, um, is that, that you are enabling people who are going through really, really hard times, whether it's a personal situation or a professional situation or an internal situation um you're enabling people to resonate with or find bits or nuggets of information or tools or whatever it is um, that enables them to have some form of hope that there is there is there is a chance of not being currently or permanently in a state and and so it's it's useful for people to realize that things are transient and however bad things are, my brother said to me uh, last week, because I said, you know, it just got as low as it could possibly get in my situation. I mean, literally, like, lose, losing everything. And um, my brother says, I've got to tell you, though, John, the year's going to end a lot better than it started. It's and got like, to, right? Wait. There's nothing that could be worse. <laughs> and it's like... But that's good, and um, it's it, I I kind of like that feeling of 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 knowing that you've actually hit the you've hit the ground, and it's like right. So provided that no one I love dies right now, this is as shit as it's going to get, and um, and so I'm and that feeling then makes you feel super grateful for the people that are still alive, because it's actually then down to the people that you love 
being healthy. And, and, and it's not about how much money's in the bank or how many lawyers you've had to pay and all the, people, all the, the crazy psychos are trying to sue you. It's kind of like, okay, mum, dad, are you, you're okay? Yeah, brother, sister, kids, fiance, her family, everyone's healthy, yes? Three. Okay, life's great. It's very that's Victor what, Frankl, right? It's yeah, and that's what happens. When you're at the bottom, everything that's really important starts to become... You get clarity. Really important, clarity. Total clarity, total clarity. Jonathan McDonald, thank you so much for coming on the show, for being my friend, and for sharing your wisdom with the audience. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Please do subscribe and review on iTunes. Every comment makes a difference. We really appreciate hearing from you. And please do get in touch through petrabelzebor.com if you're interested in any training, coaching, therapy, or just to join the community and get more information on ways that you can build your own resilience. Until next time.